0: Good morning, Your Honours. Good morning. Good morning. May it please the court. My name is Julian Uggen, and I represent Guam and the other defendants' appellants in this matter. We ask that you reverse for three reasons. One, the district court collapsed ancestry and race. It treated a race-neutral statute as a racial one simply because it saw the word descendant, ignoring the ultimate purpose of the law. This allowed the court to circumvent the discriminatory intent analysis that is required to invalidate a facially race-neutral law under both the 15th and 14th Amendments. Two, to the extent that the court performed intent analysis at all, it also erred by relying on factors that this, this, this court and the Supreme Court has clearly held are insufficient to establish that requisite intent. Disparate impact, isolated statements of individual legislators, and the legislative history of unrelated statutes. Three. The court should not have reached the 14th Amendment holding once it disposed of the case on 15th Amendment grounds. That holding must be reversed because the purpose of the law is to identify the group entitled to decolonization rights. Even if this court were to conclude that the classification is racial, it serves a compelling interest and therefore survives 14th Amendment scrutiny. The District Court simply refused out of hand to consider that interest because again, it incorrectly treated the statute as if it contained a racial classification, which it does not. The sole provision at issue in this case is the Guam Law's definition of Native Inhabitants of Guam. This is a temporal and spatial, historiographic and geographical classification. It merely identifies a group that Congress extended U.S. citizenship to in the year 1950. But the problem, of course, is
1: that it doesn't because it runs to all their descendants.
0: Yes, it um, also so I, I mean,
1: And that's what's hard to explain if this were a political um, group. I mean, you would think that a, a political group would be those people. I could have, if, if, if this was 1955 and you wanted to do that, that would be a fairly explicable situation, but but the fact that you're now running through several generations of people suggests that you're interested in their bloodline, not their political status.
0: Your Honor, the Guam legislature, when it enacted the challenge statute, the Guam decolonization registry law, actually there's like lengthy legislative intent and finding sections in the Guam statute where they actually cite the U.S. Congress itself, when the U.S. Congress enacted the statute 950, 1950 recognizing these peoples colonized. And what the Guam legislature viewed itself as doing was simply acting in furtherance of a process ultimately begun by the federal government itself. But there needed to be a way for the Guam legislature, and that was how it did it. It said, and their descendants, because we need to find a way legally, and it's permissible, to simply use dissent to connect present day people to the people, the ultimate core class of people who experience the harm of colonization. Decolonization it's, to understand it simply, it's merely a cure a remedy for those who experience the harm of colonization. I, I understand
1: your point that dissent is not necessarily race. On the other hand, it is a characteristic of racial racialization is that it's a concern of it is concerned with people's you know, sort of birth and bloodline and so on. And in what other context do we recognize dissent? Even, even if you had a non-racial group, um, wouldn't dissent still be a, a, a questionable categorization,
0: Your Honor. Actually, I'm glad that you asked the question because I think part of what's happened here, um, I think plaintiffs are taking the Rice versus Cayetano rule much too far. In that case, the rule is simply that ancestry can be. Well, a suppose you had race. a rule Not that, that, it that is. the
1: only people who can vote in Massachusetts are the people who are the descendants of the people who are in Massachusetts. Uh, in nineteen
0: fifty. Your Honor, American law, in fact, abounds with examples where ancestral guess. classifications are not racial ones. I'll give you a few. Um, take state probate laws. They routinely distinguish between citizens solely on the basis of, the, of their ancestry, distributing property of intestates precisely on that pr- basis. Um, Justice Thomas um, in the dissenting hey, brother counsel, versus Bollinger. This
2: is an election, right? Is this an election? It's
0: a symbolic public site vote. That we is that, believe how is
2: that different from an election? For
0: example, the elections at issue that were invalidated in both the Rice decision as well as the CMI decision were actual elections. They installed state officers into state agencies. For example... Ancestry was found to be a proxy for race in the Rice versus Cayetano case because, well, one, that distinguishes it because it's an actual vote to install officers' trustees into a state agency. In CNMI, it was a vote to actually amend the Constitution. Unlike the votes at issue in both of those cases, this case merely ascertains the view of those descended from the original colonized group. So it doesn't is change a, the juridical this is, status. So
2: this, is a, this is a state-sponsored opinion, poll. That's what you're
0: saying. Yes, it could be considered a poll. And what will be done?
2: Well, sorry. I just Yeah. Why, why don't you just conduct a poll? Why doesn't Guam just conduct a poll?
0: Your Honor, in fact, if this court doesn't reverse the district court's holding as to at least its 14th Amendment ruling, we couldn't even do that. There's why a, couldn't you? Because, because you? this court said it, it separately invalidated the statute, both under the 15th and the 14th Amendment well, Why couldn't and you here, just
2: conduct a poll? Um, If you were doing a poll, like a survey, you could poll everybody and have them check off whether they were a descendant, whatever, and then see what everybody thought.
0: Thank you for the question. Unlike the 15th Amendment, which is limited to voting, the 14th Amendment, actually, it turns on a kind of different question, and that is whether or not the government is using a kind of classification at all. So it's, it's the invidious classification, because if you read the opinion, the district court actually said this is a racial classification. So actually, even the UOG poll that the lower court judge actually considered, she said maybe the University of Guam should just do the poll. Um, that's still a state action. It's unlike the Akina case, for example. But, but for example,
1: this is not – there are two aspects to this. As I, the government, as I understand it, is involved in two ways. First it's conducting the election with state money, right? Yes. Second of all, it's going to send the results of this to the federal government true. Um, as the opinion of who, of what?
0: As only to the native inhabitants of Guam. Those who meet, the, the, the people, the present-day people who descend from the colonized and, group And there, we, will be there, we have some
1: way of knowing now that this is going to be couched as the opinion of the native citizens of Guam and not the opinion of Guam.
0: Yes, there's absolutely a way to express that to the federal government. And, Your Honor, that's persi- and, and specifically what's so troubling. What The collapsing, the elision of ancestry and race is so problematic in this case. Oh, it's not, I mean, there are three factors as I understand it.
1: One is that 98.6% of the people who were there at the time were, in fact, tomorrow. Is there any dispute here? By the way, that Chamorro is a racial group.
0: Yes, in as much as, in as much as, for example, the statute references Native Chamorro in another part of the code. They said that Native Chamorro is. is necessarily a racialized term, and it's actually not. Race can be understood colloquially in several senses, including as a racial term, even in a census, right, because it represents an attempt by the federal government to categorize and classify people according to various statuses. However, here in the Guam law, the Native Chamorro actual definition in Title 21, it mirrors this definition. So it is a term of art under Guam law. So
2: this, I don't understand. Doesn't Chamorro mean the same thing as native inhabitants of Guam? For
0: purposes of a different statute, they're identified, they are defined the same, and that is those persons who were Made U.S. citizens by virtue of the Organic Act of Guam and descendants of those persons. So, Your Honor, what, what we were saying was yes, the, the the statistics seem stark, right? Because there were people, at least according to the way the U.S. Census categorized them in 1950, as predominantly Chamorro. But that does not is not enough. Disparate impact is not enough to convert a facially race-neutral statute into a racial and, one. And so that's how, the heart of this case.
1: The question, I mean, under Arlington and and, um, um, Washington versus Davis, uh, the the degree of disparity is of some relevance, no? Yes,
0: yes, Your Honor. Um, Even even as recently as three weeks, DNC versus Reagan, um, the Ninth Circuit instructed, however, and it cited back all of the same hinges Washington versus Davis, personnel, administrator, Massachusetts versus Feeney. And it actually really it's great for its analysis. It reminds them that even in, it reminds all lower courts that even in the context, Of the 15th Amendment, you still have the same binding laws as to the conspicuously high evidentiary standard for proving or for converting a neutral statute into a a suspect one. For example, in Feeney, there was. There was a lot of testimony and a lot of evidence that if this veteran's preference was going to basically disenfranchise ninety-nine percent versus one, it we sort of had the same kind of thing, and the court is saying that's not enough. And the actual language from that case was that the proof that a fifteenth amendment and, and this was a fifteenth amendment case from three weeks ago from this circuit, quoting <coughs> the Feeney case for this language, the plaintiff has to prove that the legislature embarked on a course of conduct precisely because, at least in part because of, and not in spite of, adverse impacts on any group. So what it did was really ratchet up the evidentiary standard established um, initially in Washington versus Davis and and so forth. For example, they also have language reminiscent from Washington versus Davis that intent is more than volition intent is more than an awareness of consequences. Intent has to be, it's very high. And f- now we know that that, I and mean, there is no doubt that the constitutional standard for finding discriminatory extent is high one. And we believe that plaintiff failed to adduce that evidence, to put forward that evidence right, in oh, this wait. case.
1: So, you're doing a very good job. However. <laughs> Thank you, Your Honor. <laughs> Therefore, I'm hard to get a word in <laughs> Um twice. So we we have the um, we have the, the the degree of disparity, right? We have this descent quit, um feature, and we also have the history of all this, which is that there was an earlier um, a, a version of the same thing that was specifically directed at called tomorrow's and directed at tomorrow's. Now, is your point that that just misused the term tomorrow and? That would have been okay, too?
0: No, I have a few points about that question. The first one is that the heart of this is that the district court inappropriately shortcutted the discriminatory intent analysis, merely pointing to a sole reference of dissent in a statute, I'm and then as a matter of law saying that that's race. The, the
1: it's prior version, which was a tomorrow...
0: Um, referendum. Thank you, Your Honor. So the earlier version of the law did use the word tomorrow. However, again, it didn't use it in some loose, un, 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 un cabin, un-cabined way. It used it as a term of art. We know that because the actual, everything that matters in the classification is what comes after the colon. A colon or A equals sign is. So the actual classification so comes after. So your
1: position is that, that, that if you hadn't changed the terminology, it would be in the same place
0: only because the actual operative definition was completely exactly the same way. It's temporal and spatial. It was actually, in fact, a multiracial class, but that wasn't the point. The point is that at the time, Congress threw a net around a group of people and said everyone living here in this year will be made U.S. citizens, every non-national person, which was a multiracial class.
1: But the discussion around that bill at that time made clear that they were talking about what they thought tomorrows were.
0: Thank you, Your Honor. This leads me to my next point. Actually, if you, if you read the district court decision carefully, it, it's, it's painful to do because what you see is not only did Feeney actually say categorically that legisl- isolated statements or even contemporaneous statements of lawmakers are the least reliable source of finding discriminatory intent. What's wrong with this case? What's conspicuously wrong with this case? Is the discussion so heavily relied on? Occurred in 2011. This statute was enacted in 2000. This is well over a decade later, involving entirely different no, I lawmakers. I not talking
1: about the discussion around the earlier tomorrow version of this bill. Well, in
0: the opinion, the court actually relied on well, that. I'm not talking that. about
1: the opinion. I'm talking about what, what actually okay. occurred.
0: Yes, and in that discussion, Your Honor, there was a limited discussion available, but what was there was there was a clear legislative intent to try to t- connect back People to the originally colonized class. So even their use, I would submit that even the use of Chamorro in those contexts was not racial then either. It was actually inelegant or inartful as it was the initial 1996 version of that law was merely an attempt to recognize that same class of people. The people who were colonized by the United States. And actually if I can make a really important point I would really appreciate it. I actually think these dates are so important. I think for purposes of discriminatory intent analysis and that's in the end what Rice and Sinomai cases boil down to they're still intent cases. We are still in the land of the million versus Lightfoot shaw versus reno these all these cases if there are any unex, if there if a statutory classification is unexplainable on any other grounds you know other than race we're going to invalidate here Unlike the date in Hawaii, and moreover, unlike the date in CNMI, this corresponds to a, an actual moment in history that wasn't even racial. It had everything to do with a political classification and a year, a year that Congress accepted, and we know this from Senate Report 5109. They actually detail the United States' international obligations toward the people of Guam. And they show, so the, the date is no confusion. Now, in fact, the Guam legislature was actually without authority to choose any other date. In this case, in this case alone, 1950 was the only unarbitrary date it had available. So it wasn't, there was no shenanigans, and there was nothing similar to what you. the Rice Court was I, worried I, okay. about. I
2: suppose I'm inclined to accept that argument. It's temporal. It was the people who were colonized. They, they want to express their views to Congress about whether they should continue to be under the United States rule. Why is it then that people in the in the registry, um, the the Chamorro registry, is automatically included in the Guam decolonization registry? Why did that that group get brought in wholesale?
0: Precisely because the the operative definition was the same. The legislative intent in this case has never shifted. There's never been, there there was never animus afoot. In this case, the Guam legislature was merely trying to connect the present day people to the group that experienced colonization. Otherwise, we would actually only award the colonizer. If you actually think about it because the only thing you do is wait for everyone to die. And this is, it's so morally repugnant to me because self-determination is this fundamental right under international law. We need not look to international law. We need not to decide this case on an international law basis, but that surely should inform why the district court at the 14th Amendment strict scrutiny compelling governmental interest level shouldn't have dismissed it out of hand. If you saw what the court in that case did, it said, oh, you cited Akina? Akina's not binding, therefore we are not gonna consider this. It's really egregious to me that 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 is a morally repugnant thing. Self-determination actually belongs to an exalted class of international norms. You know what else is in that class? The prohibition against genocide, slavery, piracy. Um, war crimes and crimes against humanity. This is a fundamental right. And all the Guam legislature was doing in this case was believing, harboring no ominous or racial purpose, was believing it was acting in furtherance of this because even Congress, when it enacted the Organic Act and recognized that all these people are colonized and cited the Treaty of Paris and cited the UN Charter, cited its responsibilities as an administering power over Guam. The Guam legislature, this is a non-racial purpose. It should have been considered in the court's analysis. And that's why I believe that her 14th Amendment analysis was so deficient. We also, of course, believe that in that the 15th Amendment analysis wasn't firm. I see that I'm down to two minutes and 40 seconds, I don't know how that happened. But <laughs> if, I could just, if, if I could just say one more thing and then try to close as quickly as possible, if this court were to accept plaintiff's invitation to so broadly and widely extend the holding in Rice, that, that not that A can be a proxy for B, but that A is B. That's essentially what we're doing. It would be impossible for a colonized people, and if I can point out, Guam is only one of three actual U.S. territories on the U.N. list of colonies. And by the way, the U.S. itself put Guam on the list of colonies. Puerto Rico is not even on that list. Sinamai, who negotiated its status earlier in nineteen seventy, is also not on that list. Guam alone with two others are. are But the reason why this is uh, U.S. Virgin Islands and American Samoa and it would be impossible for a colonized people under us rule to exercise any measure of self determination because the mere act of designating them designating who constitutes a colonized class would collapse automatically into a racial categorization congress could never determine the collective desire of these people and we believe that this the lower court's decision of allowed to stand would essentially end this project it would just And the colonial enterprise has an end.
2: What what is the project? What's the goal of this?
0: The goal is merely to take a first, a symbolic, but no less sacred, non binding expression of a political opinion of a subset of Guam to merely transmit a non binding preference. In that way, again, it's unlike rice and it's unlike cinnamite. I have one minute left, and so I would actually like to say this I didn't make enough about the dates. The court was troubled. They believed that animus was afoot in the Rice case, precisely because the Hawaii legislature chose 1778 as the operative date. 1778 factually represents the date of Western context. So the court was able to glean, was able to deduce that the only possible explanation was racial, because the intent of the legislature was to isolate Hawaiians as a racial group in CNMI. In CNMI, it, it looks, it has some superficial appeal, right? I, I get it. The year is 1950, and here Guam has 1950. They're qualitatively different, and I'll explain why. In, in 1976, that is when the CNMI negotiated its covenant with the United States. In 1976, so the CNMI legislature had to issue a census from 1970. It chose not to use it. It went back, reached arbitrarily 20 years earlier, and picked 1950 from the hat. And so we're going to now limit the franchise based on that date. You, so you see what that choice did. It revealed to the court a same. These are intent cases. They are. Rice and CNY are intent cases. They're gamillion cases. They're when a court says, I can determine did I didn't
1: point at all. Oh. All
0: right.
1: You say. Go down.
0: Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Your Honors.
1: Well, I was doing pretty well at Never the point. But um, they, you're saying they chose the 1950 date. They, they, being the United States. CNMI. CNMI, when? 1976.
0: Later on. So, what I'm saying is actually, they had a more recent census, and the court, the district court had separate findings of fact that were quite relevant to this case. Because they said, why why would the CNMI want to use an earlier census? What was census? it used for? Oh, to determine who was, this was, a, it all alien, uh, comes Sir, back to Latin alienation. Uh, who were citizens? Who were descent. So the dissent category had to do with people who domiciled in 1950. That was an arbitrary for, for date. For this
1: statute or for another
0: one? For a CNMI statute.
1: What CNMI statute?
0: The CNMI statute of, uh, in, and the CNMI and Constitution, Constitution in Section 4, Article 12, which was an implementation of the covenant separate section between the U.S. and, and the CNMI. Right. And what was the
1: relevance of that, those, that designation the, in that statute?
0: The, rel- the, CNMI court, um, the CNMI District Court said there was absolutely no relevance. 1950 was the date that the CNMI Constitution later injected, but it shouldn't have because they could deduce no other reason. So, for example, they could have easily uh, used the 1970s. Well, so, I'm
1: asking you, why isn't that true here? I don't know. Oh, so what here's is the, the reason for using the 1950s. Be,
0: be, because there is no other option. Because the, the, that is precisely the moment in time when the U.S. government recognized the colonized people and gave them U.S. citizenship. It threw a net around every single person who was not yet a U.S. citizen living in Guam at the time, which happened to also be. A multiracial class of persons, and said, and said that that so the Guam legislature by connecting the present-day people to that group merely was it was a perfect example of what courts have to do to, to do at the trial court level, to determine if, if this is a situation where ancestry is being used as a cover for racial discrimination. That well, why couldn't you have used
1: why couldn't they have used 1970 this time? Well,
0: because 1970 is not relevant to Guam at all. 1950s. Uh,
1: whatever date the, the date that. Of the covenant was what?
0: Well, that's CNMI, it's 1976.
1: Right, so why didn't they use that
0: Oh, the date? I I don't know why the CNMI didn't. I'm just saying, in Guam's case, Guam legislature has never had an opportunity. I I don't know if I've made this clear, but Guam is actually still, it has a separate status under CNMI. CNMI actually negotiated uh, self determination. Yeah, covenant. And we did not, and so we're simply relying on the 1950 date. Um, at issue, and that was the day that Congress itself created a class, essentially, by throwing aid, a net around them. And so we are just trying to connect those people. Um, now I'm saying I have more time. I'm a little confused about. No, I think I must be over it's, time. Three minutes out of time. Okay. It's out of time. Could,
2: can we, I? Why don't we wait and see? Yeah. Okay, Thank you. Thank you, Council.
3: Your Honors, Lucas Townsend for Apple Arnold Davis. Grandfather clauses that exclude voters on the basis of ancestry are invidious masks for race-based discrimination. Guam's 2000 plebiscite law is a vivid example of this. It directs that there be a vote on a matter of tremendous public significance to all of Guam's voters. But it limits the electorate to the Chamorros, a racially defined group And in so doing, it doesn't do
1: that exactly.
3: Well, we submit that it does, Your Honor. It limits the group by ancestry, and so the definition of native inhabitants of Guam, as, as has been discussed, is those those individuals who have obtained citizenship by virtue of the 1950 Organic Act, and their descendants. And the statute defines descendant to mean those who have succeeded by birth. And in a direct bloodline succession, so it is a the bloodline requirement is on the face of this statute, it is not a neutral statute. Well, it it's,
1: I mean, it's an interesting question actually. But I, this is why I gave the hypothetical before. Suppose the the, the rule was everybody who um, lived in Massachusetts in 1960 and their descendants can vote. Um, I mean, they're, they're, you, know, you could have come up maybe with some accusations of a racial issue, but basically, if you, let's assume that you had a you know, a well-diverse group of people in 1960 or 1950 or whatever. Is that a racial group?
3: It may very well be, Your Really? Honor, why? I
1: know that any time you use a just-and-in, that's a racial group?
3: Well, it's inherently suspect, and it well, always... Well, it's inherently...
1: Hal- it it maybe it should be inherently suspect. I mean, it's an interesting question, but it would have to be... A, 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 a new analysis of a new suspect class, essentially.
3: Well, but what the Supreme Court has repeatedly said is that the definition of race, with respect to the Reconstruction Era statutes and amendments, the definition of race relates to drawing a line with respect to one's ancestors. Well, but the that can't be
1: true. I mean, suppose you had a, 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 you know, a perfectly diverse group, and you, I, I mean, in other words, I can certainly imagine an argument that says that. Ancestry itself, not race, should be a suspect group. And it would be an interesting point. And uh, we would uh, then consider all the precedents of what makes something a suspect group. And it may could be. Um, but it's not race.
3: You know, they're, they're, that's presumably why the Supreme Court said ancestry can be a proxy for race. But in this context. But it can also in this case, not be.
1: And it can also, as a non, even if not a proxy for race. Seems to me to have some problems, especially in a racial context, I mean, in a voting context, but it's a different problem.
3: But it, again, I mean, this, this is in this context, which is virtually identical to Rights Speak, Hayatana. The Supreme Court said in this context, race is, it is that proxy for well, rights in this it,
1: It's different in several respects. One is it was 100% correlation, right?
3: In rights? Yes. Uh, it, it was not, Your Honor. No. I mean, the Supreme Court, there's a discussion in Rice about how uh, there's a whole paragraph that says prior to 1778 there were individuals in, in Hawaii who had come from different parts of the Pacific Rim, there was evidence of, of a multi-racial, uh, multiracial society. The Supreme Court concluded that discussion by saying we reject this, align- this line of analysis. It isn't part of the analysis under the Fifteenth Amendment that there may be individuals from different racial groups who are included with the de- within the definition. What matters is who is being excluded. Well, let me, ra- ask, something, elect- let me ask
2: something about your client Arnold Rice was he I mean Arnold Davis was he um, the plaintiff in the earlier case? In the,
3: in the CNMI case?
2: Davis case. Or in the
3: prior panel opinion? Well,
2: we have the standing issue. Yes, the standing issue. Uh, yes, yes. Is this the same Correct. case? Is it, a continue- it is.
3: It is the is same case. It's a continuation
2: case. of the same case. Yes, it went
3: back down on remand, and there was a summary okay. judgment proceeding.
2: All right. So your your client claims that he's being discriminated against because he can't vote.
3: He is, yes, correct, Your Honor. But was been,
2: he, was his, were his ancestors part of the people who were colonized in 1950?
3: No, Your Honor, he was not, he did not receive citizenship or his ancestors did not receive citizenship under the 1950 Organic Act. So, so, so what, not part what of the, is
2: his evidence of racial animus as opposed to a class based on having been subject to colonization?
3: Well, first of all, and that has not been a recognized uh, political category in this context. A very similar argument was made in Rice that, for example, there was a a federal statute that recognized the classification in Rice, the Hawaii Homes Commission Act. And the argument was made, this is just a political classification. There's a public trust of Hawaiian lands. Uh, This is a law that's designed to, uh, to align the trustees with the beneficiaries under the trust. There were a number of political arguments. The Supreme Court rejected every single one of those arguments. And the same the same analysis would control here. This is a law that defines the electorate on the basis of ancestry and excludes everyone else. And it's a law that is of public significance to everyone on Guam, not just certain individuals, but everyone has an interest in future political relationship of Guam with the United States. Well, is this- um
1: referendum is going to be communicated as the views of the people who voted in it and nothing else then what is the interest of everybody
3: well, else i'm sorry what was the what in- is
1: everybody else's interest in it
3: well because we know for several reasons and this prior panel the prior panel in this in this uh, case addressed this this exact issue it said that the results of the plebiscite will be communicated to the president Congress, and the Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, and Guam thereby will be taking a position with respect to the question well, that is favored Guam by –
2: as a country or the, pe- the in, you know indigenous peoples of Guam, or the people who were colonized, the people well, it's, who it's, voted?
3: It's the Guam government that's tr- transmitting the results.
2: The, how are they representing the results?
3: Uh, hasn't hasn't happened yet, so we don't know how that would happen, but we do know from history There was a 1982 plebiscite, and it started a very long political process in Guam that included drafting proposed federal legislation, the Commonwealth Act, and entering into a decade-long negotiation with the federal government. And it's this process that is going to result from the, the outcome of a plebiscite. My client has a personal right to, under the 15th Amendment, to vote on whether and how that process should begin. And the prior panel uh, recognized that, that right as well. I want to just get back also to the, the facially race-based nature of statute. the statute. The definition of descendant is defined in the statute. And as I mentioned, it is those who have proceeded by birth by bloodline. And that operates to exclude adopted children of native inhabitants of Guam. So for example, An adopted child who is not a native inhabitant of Guam can be brought up in a native inhabitants of Guam household from infancy, can identify culturally, historically with native inhabitants of Guam, but they are excluded from voting in the plebiscite because they do not have the correct bloodline. That's a very clear, very clear uh, indication that this is a race-based distinction.
1: You know, it all raises very profound questions, which essentially is what is race-based mean?
3: Well, the Supreme Court talked about this in the St. Francis College case, and it said we're not tied into 19th century views of race. Race is something that attitudes and and conceptions of race change over time, but the common thread is always ancestry. Ancestry is the common thread, which is why it is inherently suspect. It is the very definition of race in this context.
1: Does that, and I mean, is, is that really your bottom line i mean it's an interesting position i i i just don't it doesn't seem to me to accord it accords with certain of the reasons why one why we we regards race as a suspect classification but it doesn't really accord with sort of the common notion of what race is because it seems that's it seems the common notion of race seems to include some Common characteristics, or those superficial ones, um, so that people look alike. Or, or I, I mean, I guess it's ultimately descent, but descent that goes, you know, back thousands of years, rather than descent in any ascertainable time period.
3: But uh, your honor, I mean, that is also something that changes over time. And the St. Francis College case was uh, someone of Arabic descent. And there was some discussion about whether, you know, what racial classification in the 19th century sense of the term would would that person be within. And that is not the question. The Supreme Court said we can't lock ourselves into this kind of wooden view of race. The real common thread is ancestry. And that's why, that's why uh, the Supreme Court said race can be a proxy for, for uh, I'm sorry, ancestry can be a proxy for race. It is that proxy well, here. being
1: a proxy for race and being race are not the same thing.
3: Well, it, so, I mean, this is a classification, though, that defines a racial group. And we would point to the Chamorro Land Trust uh, law uh, that we have discussed in the briefing as well. It has exactly the same definition for native Chamorro, as the definition for native inhabitants of Guam. And Guam has conceded, Guam has conceded in this litigation, that Chamorro is a racial classification, ER 3 to 4, ER 12, ER 58, ER 448 to 449. As the government points out in their amicus brief, Guam has conceded that in other litigation as well, with respect to the native Chamorro classification. So So we know that native Chamorro means native inhabitants of Guam. And Guam has conceded that Chamorro is a racial classification. So it's very clear here that this is a, it's not only a proxy for race, it is a definition of race. Since That definition, by the way, the, 19, uh, the uh, Chamorro Land Trust uh, definition, has been in the statute since 1980. Guam has long recognized that this is a definition that defines a racial group. Uh, And it's used in the Chamorro Land Commission, uh, the Land Trust Act, and it's also used here. It's substantively the same definition that was used in the Chamorro Registry Law and in the 1997 plebiscite law as well. The only thing that has changed is the label. Two weeks after Rice v. Cayetano, as the record shows, two weeks after the legislature enacted the current plebiscite law, put a new label on it. But the label is not what controls here. This, the definition, the substantive definition, has stayed the same, and so it defines a racial group. And it's very clear on the face of the statute that this is a that this is a racial classification. Do you, the, you want to
1: address the Fifteenth Amendment question about whether this is an election for purposes of the Fifteenth
3: Amendment? Most certainly, most certainly is an election, Your Honor. Uh, you know, in Terry v. Adams. Well, for
1: what's example. what's the line? What's the,
3: I mean, what? Well, so the Fifteenth Amendment. Define the term that's used is vote. And the Supreme Court has said that it protects the 15th Amendment, protects the franchise. And that is everything from registering to vote to showing up at the polls, casting a vote, having your vote counted.
2: Usually it's voting in an election, it's voting in something that decides something. Is that present here?
3: Uh, Absolutely, Your Honor. I mean, Terry v. Adams, as I mentioned before, that was a private group's vote to endorse candidates for a state Democratic Party primary. And the United States Supreme Court held that the 15th Amendment reached that, even though the endorsement didn't have an immediate effect. The individual still had to make a volitional choice to put his or her name on the ballot. The 15th Amendment nevertheless reached that. There are a whole number of cases where the Supreme Court has applied the 15th Amendment to city bond elections, for example. This is much more important than a bond election. This is the <coughs> political relationship of Guam with the United States. It is something that very much is included within the definition of the franchise. And I believe I even heard my friends say that this is a symbolic plebiscite vote. Well, vote is the term that the 15th Amendment uses. This is clearly covered by the 15th Amendment.
2: It really seems to be more like a survey it's like a survey of a particular group within the, within Guam, a, a group that feels um, that they were they were colonized and the descendants of that group
3: Well that, that argument which, which Guam is making here is at odds with what the prior panel in this very case said. prior panel said Guam is understating the, the effect of this plebiscite. It has government action. The government is going to transmit the results to the President, to Congress, to the Secretary General of the United Nations, and then it's going to start a political process as we know from the last time that there was a plebiscite. So that's much more than a survey. And if it is a survey that Guam would like to hold, there are ways to conduct a survey that do not involve employing the state's or the territory's election machinery. That's what's happening here, this is a taxpayer-funded, government-sponsored, Vote involving the territory's election machinery. Once you do that, that is something that has to be opened up to all registered voters without distinction of ancestry, without distinction of race. So this is uh, this is covered by the Fifteenth Amendment. Um, I would also just like to say, and I mentioned uh, the Chamorro Land Trust uh, Commission Act. Uh, there was a question in the opening argument about the the, the 2010 law, which. Automatically uh, makes anyone who has, uh, who has, who holds a Chamorro land commission lease, or is pre-qualified to hold a land commission lease, uh, those individuals, defined by the statute as Native Chamorros, are automatically registered for voting in the plebiscite. Well, that's Lane v. Wilson. The very same sort of issue happened in Lane v. Wilson, which was the follow-on case to win the United States, the Oklahoma Grandfather Clause uh, case. And in Lane v. Wilson, there was a, the voters in the 1910 election in Oklahoma who were limited by race, by ancestry and by race, were automatically registered for voting under the new amended law. That's exactly what's happening here under the 2010, the Guam 2010 law, that automatically registers native Chamorros who hold land commission leases for, vo- for registration in this plebiscite. It's a per se violation of the 15th Amendment under Lane v. Wilson. So that's well, another.
1: but it, it's automatically registering people who are all, theoretically already part of the class covered by the statute simply eliminating the requirement that they register, right?
3: Well, it is registering a group defined as native Chamorros and Guam has conceded that Chamorro is a and, racial classification. And is classification. that
1: native Chamorro a different definition than this group?
3: Not subs- no, no, it is not, Absolutely. Your Honor. It is the same definition right. as native inhabitants. So it's a,
1: it's, a, it's a verbal It's a question of what they're calling them.
3: I, I beg your pardon? So it's
1: a, it's a um, linguistic thing. It's a question. They're, they're calling them Chamorro in that statute and native Guamians in this statute, but there's the same people.
3: They're, they're so, how does it
1: advance anything? It just means that some subgroup of this other group are being automatically registered,
3: well, but it doesn't tell you much about the group. They're synonyms, Your Honor. You're correct. And right. Guam has conceded that Chamorros are a racial group for purposes of this litigation. Oh, we were just told before
1: by our opponent that he, he, he would view the earlier Chamorro statute as, as legitimate as well.
3: The 2000.
1: The, the well, one, I, no, the one before this one. Uh, the the, 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 the uh, Land Commission. Not the Land Commission, the earlier. Oh, the 1997,
3: the Clinton, right. yes. Well, I mean, at that time, Guam was much more uh, open about having a Chamorro only vote. Uh, that was a term, the term in that statute but the problem the problem is it's not
1: exactly a tomorrow only vote. I mean it's close to a
3: Chamorro-only vote
1: assuming that,
3: but it's not exactly. 99, 99% is, is pretty I think it was close. 98.6. 98. Right. 98.6 rounding error. Alright,
1: so the question is, you know, given for example the recent DNC case and given um, personnel uh, Boyd versus Feeney um, what do we do with this Apparent unwillingness, um, you, know, <coughs> you know, stubborn unwillingness to, in other cases, to go from very compelling statistics to the conclusion that there's a racial
3: group. Well, this court did go from that from that point in Davis v. Commonwealth Election Commission, and mm-hmm. the, the the demographic st- statistics in that case are virtually identical to the statistics in this case. In fact, it even has the same <coughs> reference year, 1950. Uh, again, And this court concluded that it was a violation of the 15th Amendment. It was a proxy for race, just as here.
1: Is this a mental state investigation? Are we trying to find out what the people – I mean, is the notion that, the, that in People versus Feeney, even that 99% of the veterans were, um, were men, um, that wasn't why they were doing what they were doing, but here – um, the, the fact that 98.6% of people were tomorrow is why this was done? Is that what it is? Is no. it some attempt to read the, the mental state of the legislators or what?
3: No, no, Your Honor, because we, we think the court doesn't even need to get to the purpose and effects part of the inquiry because this is a clear classification based upon race on the face of well, the Then staff.
1: why isn't People versus Feeney? I'm sorry? Why wasn't People versus Feeney a
3: sexist? well th- i mean this it has this is a different statutory scheme so of course it is but that's
1: not an answer and you know it so what? <laughs> <do you know?
3: laughs> well i mean this the classification here is on its face an ancestry based classification and well the it,
1: other one was on its face whatever it was but it was 99% men
3: well so but man, that's, that's not, that doesn't implicate, I think, the 15th Amendment, your honor.
1: No, it doesn't. That's true. It was a 14th uh, Amendment case. Yes. Are the standards different?
3: This, no. For, for the stand, we, I mean, the, this court, had, and the Supreme Court has done this for more than a century, has made determinations based upon the, the facial classification. And so, if a statute has an ancestry-based requirement, like a grandfather clause on the face of the statute, the Supreme Court doesn't need to go beyond that and determine based upon circumstantial evidence what, uh, what the intent of the legislature was. Well, the legislature has made its intent clear based upon the facial classification. This is a determination by the legislature that not all members of the electorate will be treated equally. Certain people with certain ancestry get to vote. They are So,
1: again, in my hypothetical about Massachusetts, you would say that that was a racial classification.
3: It may well be, Your Honor. Even though
1: it's based on nothing having to do with the characteristics of the people who were there in 1950. It's just... It's the descendants of the people who were there in 1950, whoever they were.
3: The, well, the Supreme Court has said that the definition of race relates to drawing a line with respect to one's ancestors. And so under that standard, yes, it would be race-based. Now, if the defendant in such a case were to come forward with compelling evidence showing otherwise, there might be a well, question. What's the otherwise? It depends what what we're looking looking at. It's like when we're turning turning the rocks, what are we
1: looking for? And there wouldn't be if, – if dissent is the definition of race, then there is no
3: otherwise. And we agree. That's, that is our position, that this is a dissent-based classification on the face of the statute, and it is therefore facially invalid under the 15th Amendment. And once the Court finds the 15th Amendment violation, the 14th Amendment equal protection violation flows ineluctably from that result because we're in strict scrutiny land at that point. And Guam has never shown that there, that this law is narrowly tailored to further a compelling well, governmental wouldn't
2: interest. Wouldn't that be a triable issue? I mean, if we were to want to, to uh, make a decision under the 14th Amendment, wouldn't we have to uh, uh, have some kind of evidentiary hearing on whether or not there was a racial animus? No, I
3: mean. Your Honor, because it's Guam's burden to show that the law is – Narrowly tailored to achieve a compelling governmental interest, and Guam has not carried that burden. They have never shown that they have considered alternatives that are less restrictive, that are less unconstitutional to this vote, this state-sponsored, government tax pay- taxpayer-funded vote. Uh, never has there was no record. Well, if the University of Guam
1: ran a poll, it would still be paid for by the taxpayers. And it would still be communicated as, as the same thing it's being communicated by. So what would the difference be? Would that be okay?
3: Well, we don't have a record on that, Your Honor, because we don't – Guam didn't put forward any evidence about this. No, but, what, but
1: what, the, the district court said, why don't you have the University of Guam write a poll? Would that be okay?
3: Well, I don't know whether Guam is funded. The University of Guam is funded by taxpayers, but it's also there's no statute. Every, that says every the... other
1: university u- called University of is. So. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, we don't
3: have a record on that. But there's also no statute that requires the university, for example, to transmit results to the president. Well, I'm of the assuming a statute.
1: I think she was that does exactly the same thing except just run from the University of Guam.
3: Exactly the I mean, I, I don't. I don't know. That's that's. Uh, a question that's based upon facts that are just not before us, Your Honor. But it was something that, you know, Guam should have considered uh, in its, in passing this law, and it did not. It, it did not. There's no record on this. Well, so, there's no I, point I'm, considering
1: something that's going to be just as unconstitutional as the other one.
3: I beg your pardon, Your Honor?
1: There's no point in considering it if it was not going to be any like, – it was going to be just as unconstitutional as –
3: I, sure. I agree with you. I agree with that. <laughs> so the
1: question is, what could it have considered that wouldn't have been constitutionally so?
3: Well, uh, you know, and that, that analysis could have been done, but it was not. Again, this was Guam's burden. So I would just say, in, in closing, this is – the 15th Amendment is one of our most jealously guarded rights, uh, and it is uh, – and the Supreme Court has said – and it's been scrupulous in holding that there are no exceptions to the 15th Amendment. And it is said that ancestor, the definition of race relates to drawing a line with respect to one's ancestors. These principles control the outcome. In this Can I ask one yes, last question?
1: Mr. Agwan alluded briefly to the fact that there are lots of statutes that do uh, base um, rights on ancestry, not not voting rights.
3: Yes, um, that is, that is and the Tell me the exactly
1: question. why that matters.
3: That because it, if, it
1: were, if that's the definition of a race violation Race classification wouldn't it be true for the Fourteenth Amendment too?
3: No, uh, is there a different a s-
1: definition for race discrimination under the Fifteenth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment? It depends on
3: what those statutes do. Your well, Honor, one that he, he so gave quickly
1: because we didn't, hear, he didn't have time was was inheritance.
3: Um, uh, inheritance,
1: in, interstate inheritance rules about who gets money if well, somebody dies interstate.
3: There may well be a compelling governmental interest in those cases, and so. You know, but the, the race-based classification in the context of voting takes us into all, all government-sponsored race-based classifications are subject to strict scrutiny. Now there may be a compelling governmental interest. There may be narrow tailoring in those cases. <clears throat> Again, it's not a record that we have before us, and it was, it was Guam's burden on this issue. So for all of these reasons, uh, we ask that the Court affirm the judgment below. Okay.
2: Thank you very much, counsel. All right. I'll give you two minutes.
0: Thank you, Your Honor. If I could just start by answering Jen Burzans' hypothetical about other examples, if, if A is not a proxy for B and A is B, and ancestry is always categorically, as a matter of law, race, then we should actually look at all of the hereditary social and charitable organizations that would also be constitutionally suspect. Such organizations typically base their membership on descent from persons living in particular places at particular but they're not, times.
1: They're not state actions. No, so that's
0: not yeah. work. Okay. <laughs> but, but for purposes of establishing <laughs> a racial classification, it, that, that elision is it's portentous. So, constitutionally speaking, the stakes are high. If this court does not reverse, it will firmly entrench a dangerous overreading of rice that ancestry is always a, as opposed to sometimes a proxy for race by approving the jurisprudentially faulty conclusion that ancestry is equivalent to race. it will call into constitutional question, if not foreclose, the use of ancestry for virtually any conceivable purpose, even legacy admissions, which are not uh, treated as racial classifications. Uh, we are simply not prescient enough to know how this constitutional cookie will crumble. Moreover, affirmance would send a signal to all lower courts that they need not engage in discriminatory intent analysis with quote, extraordinary caution. Reagan itself, stands for precisely that proposition. The road to collapse ancestry with race and then to also shortcut the discriminatory intent analysis required under both the 15th and 14th amendments is a road that is fraught with danger and should excite the deepest of constitutional alarms. In the end, however, all we are asking is this. We ask that this court require the kind of searching inquiry into intent that has long been required by the Supreme Court and not right. allow this dangerous overreading of rights and ignoring of non-racial purposes proffered by the concept
1: government. of um, what has to be proven with regard to a racial purpose
0: with regard to a racial purpose what are what we looking
1: to be for proven, we're
0: looking for animus we're looking for the legislature that in, enact, in enacting the whatever statute's being challenged well, that they suggest
1: that there are Against somebody, does it have to be? I wouldn't think it has to be
0: animus. Well, it has to be racially discriminatory intent. For example, the test in Feeney is also relevant. The quote is: "The legislature has to have taken or embarked on a particular course of conduct, in part because of, not merely in spite of, its adverse effects on a targeted class." So we know that we have to show. Well, but why?
1: Why does it have to be adverse as opposed to pro? In other words, as you describe the purpose here. It's to protect the rights of the descendants of this group of people, I mean, I mean and, and to the exclusion of other people. So it isn't so much we hate the other people, but we're trying to protect these people's rights to do something. Now, presumably that's good enough. It doesn't have to be that you hate the other people,
0: right? You're right, Your Honor. But the, the issue is that part of the problem, I think part of the the thing that's so acutely troubling to me is just the complete shortcut of the discriminatory intent analysis altogether. Like, for example, the the, the 15th Amendment analysis, even that analysis should could have been richer. I, I'm not be,
1: talking about what the district court did.
0: Okay. I'm talking about what we should do,
1: okay?
0: Well, we should reverse. <laughs> <laughs> in, in all seriousness. I just, we just ask that this court and right, well, enforce the different We, we, court. we won't shortcut anything, but still, I'd like to know what we're looking for. We're looking for <laughs> racially discriminatory intent. For example, we are looking, if I can put it in one sentence, we are looking for a use of ancestry that's not a cover for Nvidia. that's not a cover for racial discrimination. Here, our proper use of ancestry is not racial. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Council. Excellent arguments from both sides, <laughs> so thank you both. Um, Davis versus Guam will be submitted, and um, we're going to take a brief re- recess and just take off our robes and come back out and answer any questions that the audience may have um, for about I don't know, 15 minutes. And then, um, uh, so for now, the session of the court will be adjourned. Thank you. All right.